Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists and we've got some really interesting cars to talk to you about this week. Um, both of them very fancy and both of them with two doors. Isn't that right, Ben? That is correct. All right. Uh, do you want to take it away or should I? Uh, I'll, I'll go first. Um, I had right, Ben. What were you driving? Talk to me. I had the chance to drive the 2018 Lexus LC500 and also the hybrid version, which I believe is the 500H. Wow. Okay. So in case people were, were looking for some background information on the Lexus LC, this is a car that we saw in concept form uh, a couple of years ago, which was uh, really, really epic looking. It was... Uh, very dramatic. Isn't it that was, the best? Is that the best way to describe it? Yeah, they, it was called the LF-LC, um, and, and it was it was dramatic to the point where when people looked at it, everyone thought, "Oh, well, there's no way they could ever build this because a car with this kind of bodywork just isn't production possible. There's no feasible way to do it affordably." And Lexus heard that and said, "We'll show you guys." Yeah, they, they did. Ca- they came up with a production car that looks very, very similar to the concept that, that was originally introduced. And they had to do that. Um, it was not uh, an easy thing for them to do. They came up with a bunch of new processes, I believe, to put the car together. The, a lot of the pieces are single-piece units or one-off units um, or incorporating bodywork with the chassis in ways that Lexus hadn't done. So they could get that low hood line, so they could keep the center of gravity really low as well, and so they could keep the dimensions dimensions uh, as compact as possible for a full-size coupe which is which is what the car is this, this is a car that's designed to compete against the s-class coupe the bmw 6 series and uh, to a lesser extent but it is in the mix according to lexus the jaguar f-type okay that's uh i need i want to i want to step back a little bit because you discussed something that's really interesting i didn't know about about uh regarding their their new processes and that's what i really like about lexus they're always looking at new ways to make um their cars more interesting, more unique, and uh, for a long time they've always been seen as a very stuffy company, something that's really um, boring and and vanilla. And then I think that all changed around 2008, 2009 with the Lexus LFA, which was a supercar or from the brand, and they um, made it in very limited qual- uh, quantities. They, it used a V10 engine uh, and it used an extensive amount of carbon fiber, so much so that they actually have one of the few carbon fiber looms in the world. So now I know you said this is like first time they're doing stuff like this, but I can see that that progression from making an extremely limited um, car in the LFA, now I can see this really, really smart process into a, into a more uh, accessible car. Not completely accessible, like, but more so than the LFA. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's much, much more accessible. It's nowhere near the same price. You don't have to go. It's a 90, it starts at $92,000. Uh, which oh yeah, is, that's very accessible. Well, can, it's much. Uh, I can mortgage that. It's much more. It's it's actually a little bit more than a six series coupe and a little bit less than an S class coupe. So there is a definite market. Whereas the LFA was, you know, a supercar that had a convoluted buying process. Where I believe in the first couple of years you couldn't actually buy one. I think you only leased it from the company, and Toyota had the right to buy it back from you if they wanted to. It was a it was a weird arrangement. But more to the point. Spiritually, these cars are extremely different. Um, the LFA okay. was a uh, a supercar, a hypercar, whatever you want to call it. It was it was a sports car. It was it had a Formula One derived engine, as you mentioned, and it was intended to be a track beast. The LFA is definitely not that. Sorry, the LC. The LC. LC sorry, the LC is, is definitely not that. The LC. So you're telling you're telling me all of that all of that work that Lexus put into developing an extremely engaging, uh, sporty car. Is lost. Instead, all of the lessons they learned from the LFA is in, in that design process, in that carbon fiber stuff. No, I'm not saying that at all. Um, okay. I think that this is a much smarter decision than the LFA because, first of all, very few LFAs were sold, and it took a long time for to- it was well received, but they didn't. It took them a long time to sell out. A second, you know, Lexus build. I believe the 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 LC is it's a flagship car that Lexus has never had before. They've never had the, the top of the lineup was always. I mean, they had the LFA very briefly, but the top of the lineup's always been a big sedan. It's always been the LS. And what's interesting, mm-hmm. the LC is the same platform as the LS, except the LS is derived from the LC. So the sedan comes from the two door. The LF is the the it's the one that came first. It's or sorry, the LC is the one that came first. It's the originator. It's it's the top tier, top of the pyramid part of the Lexus family. So a lot of the developments that were you know put into this car were pushed down to the sedan. Second, 
and I said this in my review when I was writing it up for Slash Gear, I, I didn't know what I was gonna what to expect from this car. Because if you look at the weight, it's just over four thousand pounds. The engine, it's a naturally aspirated V8. It's the same engine pretty much that you will find in the GSF and the RSF. It has a little bit more power. R- uh, RCF, sorry. sorry. I know we're, we're going to get some commenters who are telling us we don't know our letters. Which yeah, is sorry. I'm, I'm confused by all these all these numbers. <laughs> all these acronyms. It's I'm tough. also severely jet-lagged because I drove this car in Hawaii. <laughs> and oh. I, I got back Friday night. Um, and there's a five-hour time difference from there to here. And it's been a long weekend. So well, you've you've you're you're excused. I excuse you. That's a t- perfectly plausible, like totally acceptable uh, uh, reason and excuse for why you're mixing up the uh, some of these letters. That's totally okay. I'm in, I'm into that. And I don't know what no one feels sorry for me, which is fine. But well, um, I definitely do. I mean, nobody wants to be on a flight just coming off of Hawaii. I mean, you probably wanted to stay in Hawaii the entire time, right? Well, my, with I don't know. Hundred thousand dollar Lexi. I got a pretty horrible sunburn, so I'm 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 glad to be home and and taking care of that but uh i did that to myself as well in the in the lc 500 the engine the v8 the very familiar v8 it's 471 horsepower and 398 pound feet of torque and you're pretty much like i think it's within 10 horsepower and 10 pound feet of what you would find in the much 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 more affordable f cars from uh lexus but and this is really important if you look at all the cars that compete with the the LC500, the 650, it's a twin-turbo V8. The uh, S-Class is a twin-turbo V8. The um, F-Type, which is the, the sportiest of all of these cars, is a supercharged V8. And so the this smallest. Is, it's also the smallest, right? The F-Type. Y- yes. Uh, it's the, you know, the F-Type is deceptively large. It's styled so that it doesn't look big, but it's not a tiny car by any means. Uh, it's definitely the lightest, I believe, and I'll, I'll get to that later because this isn't something else is interesting about the LC uh, in terms of the design decisions they made for the platform. But out of those four cars, this is the only one with a naturally aspirated V8. Mm-hmm. Aside from the Jaguar, it's the only one that sounds amazing at full throttle. The the <laughs> the oh man, the exhaust <laughs> that's tuning. A really, that's a very interesting. First of all, that's really interesting. Uh, Lexus. Are they? They're not well known for their. I mean, they're not well known for their exhaust notes, with the exception of that V10 LFA that we we discussed earlier, well, which I had think, a Yamaha-derived V10. It had I, to sound good. I think all of the. Uh, I think all of the F cars sound great. I, the V8-powered cars that they have. I just think it's because they don't have very many of them. That it's probably not something that that you hear uh, about that often. And because the V8 that was in the LS for so many years was very quiet, because that was a very quiet-oriented car. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they probably don't get the credit they deserve. Uh, for for exhaust sounds, but this thing's incredible. I mean, whether you're whether you're downshifting, whether you're uh, just hitting the throttle hard, it sounds amazing. And if you're in a six series and you hit the throttle hard, you hear turbo noise, fake engine sounds piped into the cabin, and those blop blop sounds from the exhaust that you get in most of these German turbo cars. And the same for the S the S class. And it's interesting too. I find that um, the torque numbers for the F, sorry for the LC500. It's you know right around 400 pound feet. That's less than the BMW, and it's like 110 pound feet less than the S class, yeah. which has a crazy amount of torque. I think it's 516 pound feet. So um, the car is really different. It's not. It, they didn't try to mimic the Germans with this car. They created something that is distinctly their own, and there's nothing else like it on the market. And as I was driving it. It really revealed a character that you don't get from Germany anymore. Uh, I think this is the kind of car that the Germans have forgotten how to build. Wow. It's a car that's a that... Really, that's a really bold statement. I mean, I will say that Lexus is at its best when it's not chasing the Germans, when they're making their own cars. Uh, vehicles like, I guess, like the EF has always been super popular, a very very nice, comfortable car. And it feels like when they were started following in the German footsteps with the IS and the GS, um, we started getting some cars that were not as Lexus-like. You know what I mean? Well, and, and, you know, I was talking to some of the engineers in Hawaii, and they, we talked about the RC and the RCF, and someone had asked the engineer if he thought that there would be any kind of cannibalization of sales from people who, you know, oh, well, there's a the LC500 is great, but I can buy this RCF for, you know, $30,000 less, and is that going to hurt sales? And he said that, no, that they're extremely different cars, and he's right, but he mentioned the RCF being a compromise car. Because it's an older platform, they they actually took three platforms together. the The RC cars are made of a the ISC center section, the right. IS front section, and and uh, part of it is also the GS, the previous yeah. generation GS, because they were originally going to make a convertible. 
right. they decided. I've heard, I've heard about this, and this is the biggest compromise within the the development of the car. Yeah, I think so it's also why it's so heavy. It I... is. Ex- it's exactly why it was so heavy. They never made the convertible, so they have a much stronger frame than they needed, and they ended <laughs> up with a. It's and he he used that he specifically addressed that fact to contrast it with the LC, which was designed from scratch from the ground up to be what it is. They didn't take something off the shelf and make it work. This is what Lexus, you know, in in, in its wildest dreams, came up with for a full size coupe that is absolutely gorgeous inside and out. I mean, the interior is great too. Um, but a, a car that is also pleasant to drive, and it's not a sports car at all. It's it's not. You would never take this to the track. Uh, it comes with a 10-speed automatic transmission, which is not great. It's uh, fine, but it's abrupt at times. It's more gears than you really need, realistically, when you're shifting through with the paddle shifters. It's never unpleasant to drive, but it's not something that's necessarily engaging. I find that the car, it really shines best as a grand touring car that just looks badass and is comfortable and it's not outrageously expensive if you're shopping in that segment and you get Lexus reliability, which you're not going to get from the Germans. Mm-hmm. And it has that instant throttle response. Um, it, you know, it's so different from a turbo car where you dip in the throttle and you get that low end torque. This car comes alive above 4,000 RPM. There's a secondary shove that kind of pushes you back off the line. You don't feel that shove. It doesn't feel spectacularly quick. It does 60 in four and a half seconds, which is great. Mm-hmm. And at extremely high speeds, the car is very stable. Uh, regardless of whether it's a sports car or not, if you're doing triple digit speeds in this vehicle, you're never going to feel like you're unsafe. So it's it's a it's a uniquely flavored product from Lexus. You can't get anywhere else. And they're very brave to build something like this because it's a way of making a statement. It's a way of not following the leader. And the, the very closest thing you can get to this is the much livelier F-Type, I think. Interesting. Uh, what you said really blows my mind is uh, that it, it, it feels better at 4,000 RPM, and I bet you it sounds better at 4,000 RPM than anything. It, that's probably when it sounds the best, no? It sounds incredible. I mean, pretty much all through the rev range, but yeah, up high, it, it's just, you know, it, it's not that fake noise that you're getting. Like, you know, I was complaining last week, we were talking about the Fusion and how it had that terrible fake noise video game pumping into the into the cabin, and a lot of Ford products have that, and pretty much every BMW performance product sweetens the pot, so to speak, with this uh, engine noise. And in the Lexus, you just roll down the windows and you've got it right behind your head and it sounds great. Like Jaguar, who's done the same thing with their exhaust tuning. Now, um, this is also a very classic take on the Grand Tour. I think a lot of cars, a lot of car companies use the phrase or the term Grand Touring Car. Um, and instead, they give you something that's stiff, uncomfortable, tight, um, and maybe a little twitchy. Um, what, do you think of, what do you think of me saying something like that? Is that a little, a little off base? And some some cars definitely do that, and I think that's largely a function of weight. I think uh, a lot of the Grand Touring cars are extremely heavy, Mm -hmm. and um, you know some of that weight. This is uh, touching on a design thing that I referenced earlier. Comes from the fact that all-wheel drive is in the picture. For uh, every single one of the German cars um, in coupe form, you can get all-wheel drive. The F-Type comes in all-wheel drive as well. There will never be an all-wheel drive LC500, and I I can say that comfortably because physically it's impossible. When there's they, no way to put it in the front. There's no way to put it in the front, and when they decided I mean, to, that was the that was the simplest way to to say it. I think that was a really silly way to say it. But there's no way to do that to put something like that. Um, what a transaction a transaction though? No, because when they decided to keep the center of gravity low and also to keep the hood low, and and the chassis mounting points are extremely low. I'm I'm pointing at the screen right now at the picture of the car, which is kind of funny <laughs> for me. But um. You see in that front belt line that there's no space whatsoever for front-wheel drive except oh, – sorry, for a, a front-wheel power uh, delivery except for the 500H, the hybrid. Mm-hmm. If they went smaller motors, right, like to, to, to power the front wheels. Is that correct? Well, well they, don't, they don't have all-wheel drive in it now, but it oh. would be possible if they added an electrical system. That was the only, you know um, – concession that Lexus would make to the potential of an all-wheel drive vehicle in the future. And speaking of the the 500H, the company thinks it's going to be 10% of sales. Super small number because they're only expecting to sell and they're only capable of producing 400 a month. Okay. So that's a very low volume vehicle to begin with. So you, you got to figure over the course of a year, that's 5,000 cars. So you're going to have 500 hybrids maximum. That That's their their take on it. The, the hybrid is a V6. 
It's a uh, less power, but it feels it feels pretty good actually. They did a good. They have a weird transmission in it that has. It's kind of like a four speed, yeah. kind of like a CVT. It, it works pretty. This. I really like this. I really like this uh, this transmission. A four speed, like, but and and there's an there's another thing in there that kind of blends everything together. Yeah, and it works. Uh, you can paddle shift it, and it sounds decent for a V6. Again, Lexus paid attention to the visceral experience. It's not fake. It's actual engine sound. It's quick enough for what you need to do. Fuel mileage, I have no idea. I mean, I was driving all around the big island on Hawaii. I wasn't really paying attention to fuel mileage. I can tell you that the LC500 sucks gas quite a bit at high RPM, especially when you keep it in second and third gear the whole time <laughs> out of 10. But, uh, yeah, I kind of feel like I'm blathering on and on about this, but the car made an impression, and I didn't expect it to. I expected it to be very pretty and very uh, conventional, and it wasn't conventional at all. And uh, before we before we end, we close the, this chapter on the LC um, for this podcast, do you mind talking to me a little bit about the interior uh, of this car? Sure. Um, what do you think of that? I think that the the seats and the door panels and the dashboard – they did a really good job. The car feels every ounce its $92,000 price tag, except for the gauge cluster, which has that... You know how in the ISF you have the, the center-mounted tack that can move side to side mechanically, and then either side there's kind of like a couple LCD screens and a lot of black space? Of course, yeah. It's exactly the same. Okay. It's it's like that, and you know, you look at beautiful dashboards like the what Audi is doing right now mm-hmm. with the full TFT... Uh, the LCD screen that just it's completely configurable and it blows you away. I, I w- if I'm getting in a $92,000 car, it better have a nicer dash than an A4. And this does not have that. So that's okay. disappointing. The other thing that's disappointing is it still has the absolutely horrible infotainment system that all Lexuses have. Yeah. This one uses the touchpad instead of the mouse. It was so complicated and difficult to use that I just left the climate control settings <laughs> in whatever they were when I got in the car. Because I didn't want to deal with it while I was driving. My, my co-driver, Sam Dew from Super Street, he, he kind of got in there and um, he, he played around with it. But it was really not easy. The, the nav system's not hard to use, but everything else is just like a challenge. And uh, yeah, the, it's Lexus has really dropped the ball on infotainment. That's uh, that's disappointing, but I will agree with you on on that point. It's been uh, something that's, that's been bugging me for a long time with all of their newer products. And I can't wait for them to show off... Um, a newer infotainment system design. Um, do you think? Do you think they will? Do you think they're going to abandon this mouse slash touchpad thing they've invested so much in? I believe it's called Lexus N Form. Is that is that the right name? I believe that's the name of it, and I have no idea. And we haven't even seen um, any concepts or or suggestions that they might be doing something differently. I mean, in comparison, we've complained a lot about other automakers and their infotainment systems. Um, but sometimes at the concept, uh, I mean, at the at the car shows, we'll see a concept of a new interior, a new uh, interaction, a new UI. Uh, I don't know if you saw this with the Acura Precision um, cockpit. Concept. Yeah, I, I remember that. And, and I mean, look at what BMW did at CES. It was the same kind of deal. Right. So they're they're usually foreshadowing what they're going to be bringing into a car. And Lexus just doesn't do that. I've, I haven't seen that in a long time, with the exception of these really neat spider seats, which just seem like something that they're not going to make. They're not going to put in these cars. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is a really interesting car. I'm really I'm really glad to hear that Lexus. Um, took their own approach and their own path for this car because I feel like they've been trying to keep up with the Germans for a lot of their products right now. And uh, now going back to uh, what they do best, which are these really super comfortable, really pretty cars um, with great reliability. And now that they're, they're etching out a name for themselves with good sounding cars and, na- and natural, still, still sticking to naturally aspirated engines, that's um, a Lexus I can get behind. And, and you know it's smart, too, to debut with the naturally aspirated 5-liter. They might be down on power compared to some of the other cars, but it gives them headroom. If they want to make an LCF mm-hmm. above the LC500, they have space to grow. And uh, it's interesting to see if they'll do that, if they'll make a hardcore performance version. I mean, this car has adaptive suspension and a bunch of different drive modes, and it'll lay patches of rubber if you want it to. Um, and you can turn off the stability control. But... Uh, it's not it's not a hardcore performance car, and I think that's great because so few people care about that. It, it, it's not, you know, the, the number of people who would take this car to the track who don't already have a track car or two in their garage is infinitesimally small. I think it's a really interesting description of the car too. I mean, we called you called it a flagship uh, coupe, and uh, we used to know the flagship sedans. They sit at the top of the of the lineup of a of an automaker's um, offerings. 
a flagship coupe is less, you know, I guess functional. People want it, but they're probably going to go for the more practical aspects. Um, and then when you work your way through the, the, the lineup, there's the, at the very bottom, there's usually that entry-level sedan or the sport sedan. And then you move up into that mid-range. Sometimes they're called executive sport sedans. Um, where there's like something like uh, that should be comfortable to drive, but also they have this element of control to it. I see this coupe having something like that, a very, a very gorgeous, comfortable car that shows off that you've arrived um, and doesn't, won't make you, won't shatter your teeth and won't make you, you know, feel uncomfortable about your purchase. That's really cool. Well, you know, and and I think that the car that you drove this past week has a similar <clears throat> philosophy because uh, you were you were driving the Infinity uh, Q. Q60 400 Red Sport, right? That's right. That's the and, that's the name of the car here. QCS <laughs> Red Sport 400. And and that's a car. I think if you look at Infinity's lineup, they don't really have a halo car. Mm-hmm. They have a the, the Q70. It's kind of like a secret. Like no one knows it exists. And nobody knows what it is. Yeah, it's 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 like a big sedan, sort of. Uh, I don't think they sell a lot of them. And then you have the QX80, which is arguably the flagship. Uh, of the of the Infinity brand, but that's a huge SUV. It, it definitely has the best interior of any Lexus model. It, it's absolutely sumptuous inside, but, but really the, one of the worst exteriors in the lineup. Ah, that's debatable. <laughs> okay. I, I don't mind in it. The, in the whole lineup, is there is there an uglier car in the lineup? I I don't think it's ugly at all. Okay. I don't that's, think it's, I think it's an acquired just, taste. That's disturbing. Okay. Why don't you keep talking <laughs> me through this uh, Infinity lineup while I think about what I'm going to talk to you about in the, with the Q60 Red Sport? Well, okay, I'm not saying the QX80 is prettier than any other <laughs> Infinity, but I'm not saying it's like the ugly stepchild that everyone you know ignores. It, it's a decent seller for them. Oh yeah. Uh, and it's definitely no uglier than some of the other large SUVs that are out there. Um, I mean, look at you know the Navigator versus the QX80. I don't think that. I don't think that's a huge departure for someone to choose one over the other. Right. But uh, the 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 Q60, it's interesting that it, it kind of feels like a flagship to me because it's it's so accessible. It's 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 not super expensive. Um, and nope. and they, it's you know you don't have to buy the Red Sport 400. You can buy the 300 model, the introductory 300 horsepower car with the same engine that's tuned down. So actually, there's a, actually there's a, tw- a four cylinder model which makes 200 horsepower. Oh wow! So there you go. There yeah. you go. Um, but then you can go into a V6 and you can go to the fully most powerful um, V6 twin turbo model that what that I had that, that makes 400 horsepower. It feels like more than that, um, and about I think maybe 350 pound feet of torque. Um, it is it's a, it feels faster than everything those numbers suggest. A 400 horsepower car does not sound particularly fast these days, in my opinion, uh, especially with Mustangs and Camaros um, popping up with. 450 horsepower this feels so much faster than those things and i don't know how they did that i don't know if it really has only 400 horsepower or more than that um and even the zero to 60 time that infinity quotes of of five seconds sounds like they're way off uh it sounds closer like it would be to your lexus about four and a half and uh, i absolutely love the, the 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 power and the speed that this car delivers um, and I love the looks of this thing because it's gorgeous. When you see one of these things driving on the road, you you actually stop what you're doing and you go, "That's a good-looking car." Yeah, um, it is really it is really stunning car, and and it's 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 a it's a departure from the previous uh, the car that it replaces, which was it was fine looking, but it was you know when they debuted their first coupe when it was affordable coupe, it was called the G coupe at the time, the G35. Mm-hmm. That was a real a real fashion plate. That was a car that didn't look like anything else on the road. And then I think as that car evolved, it kind of lost that uniqueness about it. And the the Q60 has definitely found that again. It's really funny you bring up that individuality that the G uh, Coupe had and then kind of lost with the later models of the G37. Um, I think this might be a long shot, but I think something like the um, Hyundai Genesis Coupe showed up and said, hey, we can make a a pretty car with all the same... Uh, curves and angles as an infinity and uh, and we lost a little bit of it there but now with this q60 it is sim- it is simply one of the, the hottest cars on the road and i'm so glad i got a chance to drive it um again actually we drew we drove it on the first drive back in san diego um in october that's correct and, yes um now driving it in the in the snow in winter um is is another experience altogether so first of all when you have 400 horsepower in a rear wheel biased coupe mine was an all-wheel drive model you can get it with rear wheel drive but mine was an all-wheel drive model. Um, you have a 400 horsepower car, you might be afraid of, of putting your foot all the way to the ground or at least uh, 
tempting fate with with that option. You know, uh, you know, it's <laughs> like it, it's it's it all comes down to tires. I mean, okay. I used to drive, I used to daily drive a 400 horsepower rear wheel drive car in the winter, okay. and it was never an issue, never, not once. Um, I had LM25 Blizzaks on the car, and they were right. great. And so we've got it, the same thing. I've got Blizzaks on this, and it was it was stable, it was fast, and uh, I absolutely love the way this car delivers that power. It is fantastic. But, it's a great it's a great motor, but how do you feel about the <clears throat> chassis? Because I remember when we were driving it in San Diego, there was some great roads, but it didn't feel particularly the 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 feel that you got through the steering wheel, the steering itself, um, have always been an issue for Lexus ever since they went to this electric their electric power steering system. Infinity, Infinity, my Infinity, man. sorry. The and, sun really, uh, the sun really got to you, Ben. Dude, I, I'm actually broadcasting from a hospital bed, so <laughs> yeah, it, that's how dedicated I'm I am to so this podcast. Did they hook they're, you up the IV? They're dripping fluids into me as we speak, okay, and uh, good, good. it's apparently not reaching my brain. So, say hi to ner- the nurse for me. There are no nurses. I'm in a lockdown ward. Oh, I see. That's how bad the burn is. No one wants to look at it. They're worried that they're worried that you never sleep again. Okay, well, that's that's uh, never that's sleep disturbing. again. That's a little bit disturbing, Ben. Um, but you you hit it right. You you said it right. Uh, you stole the words right from my mouth. This thing, and you've got to you've really got to watch out stealing my words, man. I'll I'll pursue you for that. Yeah. Good uh, luck finding this hospital bed. <laughs> um, the car is has no feel. Has absolutely no feel. Um, and that's a really that's an interesting thing in a in a coupe which looks as, as sporty and stunning as it is, and has that that raw speed that this car offers. And to have it with no comfortable sense of, uh, of, I don't know, feedback, of confidence, of knowing what you're going to do with the steering wheel is a consistent feel every single time um, is a little weird. It's disorienting is the best way I'll, I'll say it. Um, and you have, to, you have to tone down your approach to this car as a result. It will not be a sporty car. It's a sports car. It'll be a sporty coupe uh, and more so a luxury coupe than that. And I think that, you know, that's kind of disappointing if you're if you're coming from like a I'm not going to say the four series is particularly sporty, but I will say that BMW has this electric power steering in its cars, not its SUVs, but in its cars, um, fairly well tuned in comparison to Infiniti. Absolutely. For sure. There's no doubt about that. I will say that the suspension in the car, I mean, once you're over the fact that uh, you don't really know or you can't really feel the front wheels through the steering wheel. Um, the suspension in the car is actually really good. It, it keeps the car nice and level. It never felt um, it never felt too stiff, and it never felt um, like it was rolling or at all through any of the corners or, or let's say, an on ramp. Now, I did mention feel. You, we talked about this uh, direct adaptive steering. This is a steer by wire system, and what that means is the the front wheels are not attached to the steering wheels in any physical way. Well, uh, there is a there is a failover. There is a, a failover mechanical system that if it does break in any way, you do have. It's not like you're just spinning the wheel and nothing's going to happen. Right. But um, in normal driving, yeah, it's totally disconnected. Absolutely. And, and disconnected is the word to use <clears throat> when describing how it feels. And yeah, and uh, and the the result of this is is there's a positive and a negative, and I've got to I've got to really stretch to feel the positive, uh, or to describe the positive. There's a lot of road uh, noise. I'm going to use air quotations in case anyone can see me in my house. It kind of creeps me out, but I'm going to use the, the I'm going to use noise in in describing the feel through the steering wheel. You can feel a lot of stuff through the steering wheel, um, potholes, um, imperfections in the road, um, let's say manhole covers, anything. Well, isn't that weird though? Because doesn't the steering system also come with a system that's supposed to dial out that feedback? Like, so isn't that's, there that's a... what I'm trying to say. In, sorry, I was saying in other cars, that's what you okay. get. In this car, you get none of that. It's silence. It's like wearing it's like wearing earplugs for your fingertips. It's I remember crazy. we drove over something like a, a they were speed bumps that were they were set at odd angles to each other and you were supposed to like you know how in a normal car the wheel would kind of bounce back and forth right. just side to side a little bit and nothing happened in the Infinity. It was just like it was just smooth sailing. <laughs> right. So I mean it's really funny. You'd really never know if the front wheel is like is like busted or something like that because the steering wheel would never would never expose any of that behavior while the car is bouncing around. Um, which is both a, comfort, a comfortable thing, a comfort thing, uh, especially if you live in a place where, where bad roads are common. You don't want that destroying your fingertips. I don't know, not destroying, but really, you know, giving you a hard time on your on your hands. But at the same time, I, you just wouldn't know. Yeah, it's kind of a gimmick. Like I said, it's a, it's a stretch to find out the positive in this. Uh, but, you know, you can buy a version of the Q60 without this system. That's true. Um, and I don't really know how and if they sell it. I mean, you can build it on the website, but I don't know if the, that actually arrives to customers now. But right? doesn't it only come with the S standard? Don't you have to 
pay more for it in like the 300s than the regular 400? Uh, I I did have to pay for it extra or pick it as an extra feature on this car as well. Okay. So um, don't do that when you're ordering the car. Now here, here comes the tough the tough stuff. Now, the car also comes with an amazing suite of dr- uh, driving assist, driver assists, um, and if you wanted that, you need to get this uh, steering system. And when I say that this is an amazing suite of, of driver assistance uh, software and features, I mean it. it's it's borderline semi-autonomous. The way that it brakes to the cars in front of you in terms of uh, like self-braking vehicles. Um, Adaptive cruise control is fantastic. The lane departure system or the lane, yeah, the lane keep system is like you have a tractor beam in your lane. And anytime you get close to one edge of the lane, it just sucks you right back in the center. It's a very uncanny system. Uh, when you have it enabled, you can turn it off very easily with a switch on the on the steering wheel um, because you might not always want to be in the center of a lane. But, or you, uh, might, you might be dealing with snow or harsh weather where it's just not possible. Right. right? And, and it just becomes more of a liability. Right. And uh, I, I found those these things to be absolutely uh, – one of the selling points of the car, if you're comfortable with with losing that essential feedback and feel in a sporty coupe uh, or sporty-looking coupe like this. So it's a very different take on the on the sport sedan or sport coupe, luxury sport coupe segment that we've known in this, in this class. The 4 Series is, is pretty fun to drive. Uh, the C-Class coupe is mm. also – is is also kind of fun to drive. The A5, I haven't driven a newer one, but I've always been told it's a it's a blast. Uh, RC, we were talking about the Lexus RC, um, kind of heavy, very comfortable. <laughs> I think I think the C the C class coupe is a much more comfort oriented car than a fun to drive car. I mean, I would not put it alongside BMW in terms of engagement, but I think that's a good thing. I think that again, uh, I think Mercedes started kind of carving their own path with dynamics uh instead of just trying to be a, a better bmw and i think that's good for them um what else do you want to want me to talk to you about here with this uh, infinity q60 i would love to tell you that the interior is pretty sharp uh i've got this really nice silver optic trim package inside which is kind of like a very shiny uh silver or a bleached carbon fiber is the best way to say it um it's eye-catching it's definitely not ugly uh it won't it, it kind of pales in, in comparison to the C-Class that you mentioned, uh, which has a gorgeous interior. Um, headroom is not that great. Transmission is pretty solid, and uh, I just can't get enough of this engine. It's my, it's one of my favorite engines I've ever been around. It's is that a, is that a seven a seven speed automatic transmission? It is a seven speed automatic transmission, and there's nothing. It, the eight speed autos that you can get in BMWs are are much better, um, and it's definitely no dual clutch transmission. In terms of speed well, and responsiveness, and there's and there's no manual available either, which is something you can get from BMW. Yeah, no manual. Pretty much only, pretty much only BMW at this point in that segment, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. And Unless so, in Canada, can you get a manual uh, C coupe? No. Are you sure? I'm almost 100 percent sure. There's no place to put the gear stick. What do you mean, no place to put the gear stick? <laughs> they put all their shifters on the steering column column now. Well, I guess that's true. Um, I've got to talk more about this engine. Are you ready for this? This is practically okay. a mini GTR engine. It uses the same VR um, nomenclature as the GTR's engine. Um, it has two uh, water intercooler, water-filled intercoolers with two electric pumps, which is rare for this. Um, and the responsiveness is so fantastic, and that's uh, mainly due to a very short, uh, what they describe, a very short intake path. Uh, and that gets the turbos spooling up really quick. The turbos also have a very clever optical speed sensor which can uh, maintain them spinning or uh, or speed start them spinning a little bit sooner so that you're ready to go as soon as uh, they're ready to go as soon as you put the your foot on the throttle it's a fantastic engine and so it and and i hope we see it in other products from infinity well we know that's also in the q50 red sport but you're right it would be great to see this in other cars uh whatever they've got coming down the pipeline uh, we know that they have a QX50 on the way, and I think maybe 400 horsepower might be a bit much, but hey, go for well, it. Well, <laughs> it was that, that that car, the vehicle that it's replacing was at 325, so 400 is not a huge stretch. I mean, in this crazy arms race that we're living in where twin turbo cars are everywhere, um, I wouldn't be totally shocked if that happened. All right. That's a great point. And I'm looking forward to the QX50. I think it's a great looking car, um, and I think they've got the motors for it. And that's a car that doesn't need to be sporty or aggressive feeling, so they can probably get away with that, uh, that, what's the word, numb steering feel. 
I guess it doesn't need to be sporty, but it kind of always has been. It's kind of always driven like a tall wagon, and I've enjoyed that about it. The only bad thing I have to say about the the QX50 and the the or the EX as it used to be known is that it's so tiny inside. There's really no room for for cargo and passengers. It's really very much a two person vehicle. I know they fixed that by stretching the uh, they stretched out the wheelbase a little bit, and they they promised that it's going to be more practical. But I remember I had one for Christmas one year, and I went to visit some relatives who lived a couple hours outside of outside of the city where I live and we had it loaded up with our, our gear and some presents and some food and stuff and we had our kitty with us in a kitty carrier and it was packed to the roof and we were only oh, two man. people and you can see, see at the back of it huh? no 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 I, I mean wedged to the roof it wow. was I was surprised and I really like the vehicle you know and, and yeah. it's just it's just hard to it's kind of like the juke of, of luxury SUVs it's it's not really designed to be practical if you're more than two people and even then two people's like the, the you're stretching it <laughs> well, uh, I'm looking forward to that car, um, and that's the two. Those, those are the two cars that we uh, were we tested tested this week. Did you have anything else? No, I did not. I, I neglect. I did not book anything this week because I was in Hawaii the entire week, and I didn't want to. You know, I, I don't want to just have a car for a couple of days on the weekend and, and kind of give it a short shift in terms of the impressions that I'm going to get. So I try, I try to avoid that. But but next week. Um, I am driving a couple of interesting vehicles. On on Monday, I'm picking up the the Elantra Sport, which okay. is the the Hyundai, the turbocharged Hyundai, which I have not driven, and everyone else has driven, and everyone likes it, and I believe you like it too, Sammy. Yep, I do think it's a very solid car for uh, its category and size. I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say as well. I don't want to take that. Uh, I don't want to take that. I don't want to take words out of your mouth. I don't want to steal any words from you. Uh, um, and then on Tuesday, I am going to San Antonio, Texas to drive the new Jeep Compass, which is probably going to sell really well because everything with a Jeep label on it sells really well these days. They've really kind of, even the smaller Jeeps that used to be horrible, horrible, horrible vehicles in terms of dynamics, uh, they were very affordable and practical, but they weren't, you know, they weren't the, the highest quality that that's kind of in the past. Um, Jeeps really turned things around and I'm very curious to see what the compass is capable of doing off-road and on-road, especially now that it looks even more like a baby Grand Cherokee. I love that about it. It actually, it absolutely looks tougher. It looks great. Um, it looks grown up. It doesn't look like something that you're, you're kind of embarrassed to drive about. And I don't want to be rude to the old compass, but that's the way I felt about it. Um, oh yeah. And, and you know, it doesn't have the CVT anymore, does it? I don't think so, okay. but I'm not sure. I hope, I, I, I'm I sure not. I'll find out everything on Tuesday. Uh, I don't recall off the top of my head. But, uh, you know, we're talking about Jeep and Grand Cherokee, and I just want to kind of remind the listeners that we really haven't heard anything about that whole diesel situation since last month, have we? No, we haven't. There's been a few There's been a few developments in them saying that they're confident that it's coming, uh, that, that uh, are, you know, that they should be selling them in a, in a matter of days or they should be given the go-ahead to sell them again. But uh, besides that overconfidence, I haven't heard or seen anything yet, which is so that, interesting. That's something I – well, we'll have to keep our eye on that, I guess. And, and, and Sammy, what are, what are you up to next week? So I wanted to actually touch uh, very briefly on another car that I had last week. Um, okay. I was that's asked, totally not what I asked you, but I, I, know, guess, I, I know, guess it's okay. I, it's just, I know that we sometimes talk about cars on this podcast. Let's just throw the rule book out the window <laughs> and let's set it on fire just before we throw it out. I already threw it out before you told me to set it on fire. I do things immediately, man. I don't know what your deal is. Um, Here's what I drove, and I would love to – I only drove it for maybe a day, and I would love to hear a little bit of your thoughts on it. This is the Jaguar F-Pace, and we did this as part of our – I added it as part of our SUV of the Year uh, testing and video for Autoguide.com's SUV of the Year. And uh, this was a very interesting vehicle, and I'm not – I'm hesitant to say great, but I'm also very hesitant to say bad. It's a very interesting car. Um, the, F, the F-Pace, sorry, you're saying the... The, the F-Pace, yeah. Well, it, I, uh, what, what, what would make you hesitant to recommend the F-Pace? I, I've driven it, and I find... I, I can't really think of anything I didn't like about it. I think that every other car in the class is, is slightly better than it in, in more ways than one. Um, what? Really? I do. I think a GLC is a, is a more attractive car inside and out. Uh, whoa, wow, whoa, back that up. More attractive than the F-Pace. Yes, absolutely. I think the GLC is the most boring the most boring Mercedes SUV out there. I think that they took everything that was interesting about the GLK and unique and then just kind of said, for let's forget about that and kind of shrink down the, uh, the GLE and make it just a blob SUV like everything else out there. But the interiors, it's, you, can't, you can't disagree with me. The interior of that Mercedes is the best in the class. 
I have I have not been inside of it, <sighs> so I can't I can't agree nor disagree. But uh, okay, the Jaguar does have a, a, an attractive exterior. I don't know if it's the prettiest, but it does have an attractive exterior. It's it, it has the virtue of not being a blob, right. which so many okay. crossovers are. But at the same time, they wanted to make it. Remember how I was saying that um, Lexus follows its own followed its own path with the LC. I can see Jaguar wanting to do this with the F Pace. But as a result, in the F2, I don't think the F-Pace is particularly amazing to drive. It seems like it's always bordering this edge between trying to be sporty and trying to be a, uh, an SUV or a crossover. And it doesn't quite find its footing in either t- in either camp. That was just, again, I'm saying, based on a very a very brief dr- driving test of it. But, um, I, I mean, if you want something that's different in the class, the F-Pace is definitely it. But if you wanted the best car in the class, I don't know if that's it. What do you think the best car is? Like I said, that GLC is fantastic. And um, I'm a huge fan of the Lexus RX, but I think the RX might be considered big. Yeah, I, yeah maybe. For that class. Um, I mean, essentially, the uh, the F-Pace is, a, is an NX competitor. And the NX is okay, not fantastic. Not well, great. it's dynamically, it's in a different class. Yes. Um, I didn't like the interior, man. It was it was bland, and the infotainment the infotainment system was nothing special. And what color what color was the interior? Because they make a really nice brown interior. Oh, I had, I, a, I had a black one. I drove it in um, the Rockies when it, this summer or this fall. I believe it was this fall. Okay. And uh, there were a lot of just we had a, a varied. Ro- it was a, it was a, the XC and the F pace back to back. So we had a chance to kind of really put it through its paces on road, off road. And uh, I, I find it very fun to drive. I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, I kind of enjoyed it more than the XC, to be honest, the, okay. the small sedan. So, uh, yeah, I'm surprised that you have this difference of opinion. But, you know, I'll continue to respect you or at least publicly <laughs> respect you. Well, I'll, I'll back it up a little bit. We were in the snow. Um, it, 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 a heavy snowfall had occurred this past week. Uh, and I was driving in the snow. It had some really, really different tires than you must have tested it with. It had those big old Blizzaks on it. Uh, actually, no, it didn't. I think it had the Pirelli. Um, what are the name of those? Sato Zero. Yes. Absolute garbage tires. And I think that now, now looking back on it, I think that could that could really determine why I didn't like uh, the way this car drove. Um, and um, and I'll I'll admit, car and sounded great. You you mentioned that earlier with Jaguar. Sounds great. Power delivery was was pretty exceptional for it, and um, but I just think you can get other things in this class. I just think that there's there's other things you can get in there. Sorry. <laughs> well, what are you driving? What are you driving? Let's clear the palette. What are you driving next week? I've got a Toyota again, uh, a Toyota 86, which is an interesting choice for me because I already have a 2013 Scion FRS. Um, and when Scion died, it uh, it changed all the name of his cars to Toyotas, and the FRS turned into an 86, like it's known throughout the rest of the world. Um, sadly, this car differs than my car in one way other than the name, and that's the transmission. This will have an automatic transmission, and as a result, excuse me for that, as a result, it will not have the engine upgrades that the 2017 models were supposed to have. Which, oh, wow. So it's basically a carryover model. <laughs> I think the interior trim and exterior trim have uh, have changed. Uh, it definitely has a different look inside, uh, inside and out. Um, but, yeah, essentially the powertrain will be the same. That's kind of disappointing. I don't know what the mix is for auto versus uh, manual on the, the 86. Back in the, the day, the... it was 50-50. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was actually pretty pretty decent. Wow, uh, I did not – that, that – Okay, yeah, I can see that, but I would not have I would not have thought of that. Uh, that's way back when the car first launched. In fact, I remember the Scion launching much much more po- much more uh, positively with a manual transmission, and the Subaru was more of a 50-50 mix. But then I think as they um, they kind of I don't want to say they've lost their person their their popularity with the enthusiasts. After the enthusiasts bought the initial the initial few runs of this car, uh, I think everyone else the mainstream kind of picked them up, and they got that automatic transmission as well. And yeah, and or or you know just stop buying it all together, which is also kind of what happened. <laughs> that's also uh, what happened. To those cars. Like every sports car that's been released in the last twenty years is the same cycle. It's like two years of strong sales and then nothing, just like absolute ghost town. And then and, and, and unless you bring a a crossover or a crossover coupe, and you've got something that just keeps it on selling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, even the Corvette. I mean, the Corvette is similar in in the Miata. It's all it's all you know. Long tail sales are not impressive. Right. 
so yes, I've got the 86 next week. I'm looking forward to driving it. Um, I'm. Con- do you want to hear my thoughts on it compared to my now four-year-old uh, FRS? Right now or next week? Next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, next week. All right, be fine. So unless I'll, you I'll, unless I'll you want to channel some JoJo the psychic and like get that get that uh, get those impressions out now, because that would be impressive. I think our listeners would be amazed if you could do that. I'll give it a shot. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing's coming through. Nothing's to you? happening. I can't. I can't figure it out. It's just a cavalcade of blurry and disturbing imagery. Uh, speaking of cavalcades of disturbing imag- imagery, uh, the Canadian International Auto Show happened this week. And uh, we're started, talking about this? I'm sorry, but you brought up disturbing imagery. And um, a new accent debut. Do you know what the accent is? The Hyundai accent? I do. I haven't seen it. I don't know anything about it. I was I was in, I was really far away this week from Toronto. So... <laughs> Um, I, I must admit to not following anything that happens at the, the Toronto auto show. Yeah, I just, I just don't. It hits too, too close to home for you, right? It's just, I don't see it as a significant auto show internationally. So I don't, you know, follow it. I mean, if you look at even Chicago this year, almost nothing happened. So it's hard to get excited about the, the Toronto show when the New York show is just a month away. Or maybe a month and a half, I guess, now that it's been uh, actually, Geneva should be sooner. Uh, Geneva yeah, Geneva is this second week of March, right? right. So, um, And, okay, so you don't want to talk about the accent. What about this new Aston Martin that's built uh, in Ontario? I, I, would t- I would talk about the accent if I knew anything about it, but I don't. <laughs> I don't so. know anything about it either, and I don't want to know anything <laughs> about it. <laughs> uh, it's going to be an affordable subcompact coupe, and I always th- I mean subcompact um, car from Hyundai, and I've always liked what Hyundai's offered with the accent. So let's see what uh, let's see what uh, I'm sure that'll continue. Sorry, <laughs> um, Aston Martin also showed off a really interesting car, the AMRB001, which sounds like code, right? It sounds like uh, development code for our web, for a website. It's a mid-engine hypercar, super lightweight, and uh, this is being made by Multimatic here in Ontario. And how many are they going to build? I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> I think it's 150. That's actually a decent number for Aston Martin. They're, they're pretty good at uh, very, very low-volume hypercars. Absolutely. Uh, there was also one other weird thing that showed up this week, but not at the the Toronto show. The Mercedes Maybach G650 convertible, which is weird. Uh, how do I it's describe it? It's not a I convertible. It's, it's, it's a Landolet. How do you call it? Landolet. Landolet. Say it. Say it right. Landolet. Landolet. It's like Landolet Lakes, <laughs> but with Landolet. Ben, do you mind talking to me real quickly about the the decision to have this kind of car? I thought Maybach was about these really luxurious luxurious cars, and if they wanted to sell more Maybachs, wouldn't they have made one that made I don't know more sense? First of all, they're not going to sell more Maybachs. So <laughs> regardless of what they do, it's, it doesn't matter. It's it, the brand is is just doesn't have the cachet that it needs to compete globally, in my opinion. Um, but I, I think that this is you know this is an attention getting device. The the, the six wheeled you know G class was all about grabbing eyes and getting people talking about it. And they did. They did a very good job with that. And now they have this version that is it's essentially uncovered in the back. So if you're hunting on safari in Africa and killing endangered animals, you can do that very well from the back of this vehicle. Or alternatively, you could use your camera and shoot from the back if you wanted to do that too. So that's the more, you know, um, PETA-friendly version of the Landolet. But, uh, yeah... It, this is the kind of car built for people who already own 60 cars and they, they want something that's that's different from what they already have and they can show off and it's a good laugh. It's, it's, it's a novelty car, I think. All right. And speaking of showing off, uh, sorry, Ferrari has a new car, the 8112 Superfast, which will replace the F112 uh, Berlinetta. Someone needs to talk to Ferrari's naming department. <laughs> Apparently it's a throwback to an old 60s uh, car and not the really poor Fast and the Furious uh, parody that uh, I thought it was referring to. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we have the, the Super Fast and we've had the LaFerrari and it's just, it seems like, it seems like they're, you know, like when you have to, when you're writing and, and, and your, your, your client says, we have to get this down to a fourth grade reading level to connect with the biggest possible audience. It almost feels like that's what's happening at, at Ferrari, but is there a, really a difference between Superfast and Super America? Like, is that, it's, I don't know. Like, do they just see it the same? Is it, they just like put Super in front of it and it's cool? It's Ferrari tradition? I guess so. I mean, I guess so. It's, uh, it's it, the most powerful front engine uh, Ferrari that they've made. Um, it makes 789 horsepower, which that's more, that's, that's reasonable, right? You like that? <laughs> well, they, they had to beat the Hellcat. <laughs> And speaking of the Hellcat, I was actually about to bring this up. We have a new we have new Dodge Demon um, information. 
It's true, we do. It's the the tires, which mean you were Nitto NT05 uh, R street legal drag radials. Um, they also have they're they're made specifically for this car, and they have uh, more grip uh, and more launch force than the Hellcat, and that's what they've um, announced to us. Fantastic. Well, they have more more launch force, but I think you have to air them down, don't you, to get the because on all the the media photos you're seeing, there's a wrinkled sidewall. Yeah. Which is, you know, a drag car thing where you're able to mitigate wheel spin uh, and put more power down through the tire by having that feature. But you can't get that feature, A, with a low-profile tire, which is why these are, I believe, 18 inches. Mm-hmm. And B, you can't do that uh, at full pressure, at street pressure. You're not going to see a wrinkle slick wrinkling at 32 <laughs> PSI. It's just not going to happen. Um, so my my initial thought is these are probably at 10 or 15 PSI in those images which kind of leads you to the conclusion that on the street you're not going to have any traction, right. <laughs> you know, or or you're not going to have the the traction that will that will lead to the performance that is advertised by the car. <coughs> Excuse me, it, you're going to have to be aware of the, very much like the Hellcat now. It's extremely hard to launch on the street. Mm-hmm. It just is. You need perfect conditions, right. and even in perfect conditions, it's not easy. There's a lot of wheel spin. <laughs> There's a ton of wheel spin. I mean, I, I remember in the Hellcat with the launch control on, sitting there with the brakes, and the, the, the tires in the back were just spinning slowly. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen a turbo diesel truck try to launch yeah. or do a burnout. <laughs> it was like that. It was like watching a diesel truck burnout, but it was the launch control system on the Hellcat. Right. So it's, it's going to be, you know, I'm sure it will be fast in the right situation, but uh, you're going to have to be in that situation and be the right driver to, to get those numbers. All right. There you go, Dodge. We said something about the demon. Now give us their money. <laughs> oh shoot we're doing this free free of charge man <laughs> uh, i don't do anything for free sammy you know that Uh oh okay well i'll find you and uh I'll, I'll give them the address to this uh to this ho- this hospital you're in um i guess that's it for the for this week another fantastic week of the unnamed automotive podcast and, and, you know, it was supposed to be a short podcast because Sammy was feeling sick, too, but it ended up being a long podcast. So I hope everyone's OK with that. I mean, I don't really care. I, I just hope we get some feedback from some from listeners. <laughs> uh, so you can provide you can provide that feedback on Twitter. Yes, uh, that's Sammy, where I prefer Sammy, how, would, how would people do that? You can find me at Sammy underscore hat like you're laughing at me, which is probably what you're thinking of when you're giving me some feedback. Uh, and you can also find Ben at uh, Hunting Benjamin. And you can hit us up on the internets at unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, on the social medias at the uh, on Facebook. Just type in Unnamed Automotive Podcast, and you'll see our Facebook page, which has a link to all of our um, podcasts recently. And you can also go to SoundCloud and find us there, Unnamed Automotive Podcast. It's the same name for Apple, iTunes, and Google Play. Uh, you can subscribe to us on either of those services. And you'll get updated regularly as soon as the podcast goes live. All right, Ben, have we said unnamed automotive podcast enough times in the past? Unnamed seconds? automotive podcast. <laughs> I think we hit our uh, our mandated uh, forty-five times of mentioning the, the podcast name. <laughs> I, I I concur, and and I want to thank everyone for listening this week. And if you have any questions or any guests that you'd like us to book, and you want to make some suggestions, just do that. Yeah, uh, feel free. One of our favorite things actually is uh, if you've gotten uh, somebody who you think uh, is buying a car or wants some advice on a car and wants to talk about a particular car uh me and ben have uh, a really good uh understanding of the of the market what's out there and how we can help you out with that so give us uh, give us a question you're thinking of buying something you know someone who's thinking of buying something like uh, my friend matt and his durango which she eventually ended up buying despite us kind of <laughs> ragging on it um and then you getting a durango the next week and saying it's not that bad <laughs> um yeah we love that kind of stuff don't you ben i i, I love a lot of things okay and uh, that's it. So send us a message, and uh, we look forward to hearing back from you, and we look forward to giving you another podcast next week. Take care, everybody. Goodbye.